Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Karen Lobster Karen, and I will be your host. And for- I don't have a nickname, so um, we'll come up with yours. Let me think about it. I'm KLK's sidekick. Yeah. KLK, Karen Lobster Karen. I'm bringing you, or K squared. K squared. Karen L. Karen. Someone pointed out to me, maybe it was you, that my name would have been Karen Karen. Yeah, that was me. Yeah. And then I said K squared because, fun fact, I went to high school with a guy named Thomas Thomas, and he got kicked out of a class the first day of school almost every year because the teachers thought that he was being smart with them. His actual name, Thomas, first name, Thomas, last name. Yes, his parents did this to him. This is a correct thing. What? Well, who does that? His parents. So we called him T-squared. T-squared. So we can call you K-squared. Okay. Or kind of like K-L-K. It's like you're... You down with K-L-K? No, that doesn't work. You down with O-B-B? Yippee-I-A. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> My emerging rap career. Oh, boy. Or I could be right, man. You for sure have a rap career. Oh, I could be your... I'm your... Your, your wingman? Your, My wing... Oh, boy. Yeah. Wing wingman. 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 Okay, so this is 10.5 and 11.5 yep. of our new combo episode. Com- combo after the episodes. We're discussing two We're, episodes like at once. Fast food. Would you like a drink with that? Uh, combo with 10. Well, here's the deal. You're going to need a drink with that because these episodes, holy MF moly. Well, yeah, I was going to say PTSD Awareness Month. Is these no were, joke. It, it, yeah. Do you listen to these sometimes and you're like, wow, everything I ever thought and felt that had gone wrong in my life is completely fine? Yes. Because I listen to these things. I'm like, yeah. Pretty much every episode. Pretty sure I'm fine. And then I'll go back. I'll obviously meet these people and every person just is so beautiful and so wonderful in their own way. And then, you know, there's a little bit of time between when we record the episode and edit. So then I go back and re-listen. Right. We're re-listening and just kind of like editing and just making sure everything sounds nice and cohesive. And, you know, then it's just like it's like hearing it for the first time again. It's like, man. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. This one, these two episodes were hard for me. I got to be honest with you. They were. and, And I feel like... A lot of them are, I'm not saying they're not hard, but these ones were. <laughs> it, it was it, intense for very long periods of time. And not, yeah, I mean, I don't know. If you haven't listened to, so there are episodes, obviously, 10 and 11, mm-hmm. and it's Sharice and Amy. And if you haven't listened to them, I highly recommend going and listening to them, but to be aware of the trigger factor because and I I do think that we put a uh, warning on those particularly for those struggling with PTSD because the trigger factor is real and you know obviously all of the stories that we hear on here are intense Mm -hmm. and people have gone through something but these two were particularly um, for PTSD awareness month and Sharice obviously she was um, she was in that Daily Mail article Mm -hmm. that I found her and I was, you know, it's so funny. Like I was messing around on uh, social media. I mean, reading intellectual books (laughs) and I found her and thought, I'll just send her a message. You know, I definitely did not think she was going to respond. And she responds and she said, you know what? It's total chaos right now in my life with this 
article just coming out. Can I get back to you? I'm like, absolutely. Don't worry. You know, no rush. Just wanted to reach out. And then she did get back to me. We had this lovely conversation and she's just an amazing woman. And similar thing happened with Amy. So these are both people that I reached out to and, you know, didn't really know what the response would be. Amy, I was actually more confident that she'd be interested because she does put her therapy stuff online. And I was super fascinated by that because I don't see that very often. I don't see people put their writing from therapy. Like they, people go to therapy, they go behind this closed door, if you will, or telehealth, you know, whatever they, in this private session, Mm -hmm. and then they come out and summarize what happened for you. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's pretty much what we all do. But Amy was taking the writing that she was doing and putting it on her Instagram Mm -hmm. for um, her handle CPTSD Chronicles Mm -hmm. for Complex PTSD, Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Chronicles. And I found this. I was like, wow, I've never seen anyone like put the writing that they're sharing in therapy out there for people to see what goes on in someone's head. So that was really fascinating to me and why I reached out to her. And then Sharice getting back to me was a big surprise. And then to find out that she turned down every other interview was pretty amazing and made me feel very responsible for getting her story out accurately. And I felt like what I had a huge responsibility with Sharice to make sure to get the more minor details and the more soft moments and the recovery piece because it was obviously a, quite the shocking story. Like there was that mm-hmm. shock factor to it, no question. Those, you know, the gory details of what happened to her. But the softer, quieter moments, the reflections, the intimate questions, and frankly, the recovery were so much bigger and so much longer of a process than the actual violent episode that I felt very responsible to bring that out of the story and and give people that perspective because I feel like, I, at least I know when I told other people, I don't know if you talked to anybody about it, but when I told other people that I was interviewing her, they were like, oh my God, I can't hear that. Like they, they were just yeah. so like shocked and horrified by mm-hmm. this literally horror story, something that sounded like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. movie, Massacre movie. They definitely shied away from that. And so I felt a real responsibility to show her others, to show a a more important side of that. Yeah, absolutely. I had the same experience. I went home and told my husband, I was like, oh my gosh, this you know woman's story is just incredible. And you know, I, I always prep our guests, right? And just have like a little call with them. Hey, this is what you're going to encounter in the podcast booth is what we'll talk about. And yeah. I don't know what I was expecting with Cherie. So, you know, everyone yeah. comes from a different place. I mean, all of our guests have been so wonderful. I think one of the things with how shocking her story was, and you're thinking like, oh gosh, this person's been just like obviously severely traumatized. Yeah. Like, I mean, to a horrific yeah, degree I mean, just of violence. Yes. Like actually could be a a horror film. It absolutely could have been and or could be. Um, yeah, or could be. And then all of a sudden this mama, this nurturing, I mean, just she, when you, the second you talk to her on the phone, she just oozes love. I don't know how else to describe her. And recovery and survival and not brokenness. Like, I don't know. Not at all. This woman is not a joke. (laughs) No, like, I mean, she's wonderful. I've talked to people who are like 
I think we talked about this. Like I use the term emotional vampire. I'm not saying I made that up. I'm just saying that's a term I, I mm-hmm. use. And we're just people where they've had so much trauma. There's so much that has happened to them. They're kind of exhausting. Like it's mm-hmm. it's exhausting to be around them. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about Sharice for me, and I, I told her this, was she's been through so much. I mean, just so, I mean, both she and Amy, and right now we're just talking about Sharice, but been through so much. And I just didn't get this feeling of brokenness. Mm-mm. Do you know what I mean? It was not crazy. at all. And I, I, so she's telling this story, you know, the whole thing being beaten with a tire iron. She had to get a hysterectomy because of the sexual assault. I mean, this is like just unimaginable. I mean, truly, truly unimaginable, like mm-hmm. not even ballpark yeah. situation. And then she talks about the recovery and the strokes and, you know, and the hep C as a result, the hep C as a result of the blood transfusion, as a result of the accident and the hep C medication creates the strokes. And then boom, she's in a wheelchair, right? 13 years in a wheelchair. And she works her way through that, manages to get out of that wheelchair after 13 years Mm -hmm. and not like out of it, manages to start talking again, like all this stuff. I mean, that is next level, just that commitment of never giving up. I mean, I really, when I say this, I really mean that I don't think I could do that. I don't think, I just don't know that that's in me. And, and then the, the other repeated trials and tribulations that she's had to where she is today. I just, this was not a person that I felt was like who, who I interacted with and thought, wow, that person's been really broken. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just was like, this person's beat the shit out of life. Yeah. You know? Like, She's, she picked up the yeah. bat and swung right yeah, back. Yeah, right back. Right yeah. back. She and was like, she influences people. So yeah. she's she roller derby, she she oh, said yeah. it's like her thing. I know. She's goes from being in a wheelchair. Because <laughs> she because here's what I knew about her story going into it. I knew about the attack. I knew that there was a gnarly recovery. Mm-hmm. I knew that she had talked to one newspaper, local newspaper, and that she did domestic or sexual assault advocacy. Mm-hmm. So I knew that. I did not. And I, oh, and I, oh, and I, I knew that she was involved in roller derby. That's what I knew going into it. And then she had one son. What I didn't know was that in between the assault and today and the roller derby, that she had been completely unable to speak and unable to walk at certain points. So the roller derby is remarkable in truly in light of being completely disabled mm-hmm. and now, you know, coming back and doing something that is like... I mean, not just being able to walk. No, that, I mean, that, that's... Roller that's, derby. I mean, if anyone has not been exposed to roller derby, it is fighting on skates. Yeah, it's It's, it's like moving in a it's ring. It's hockey. Hockey. Like it's not hockey, but Knocking it's, people down. Yeah, it's like... Fem- I'm pretty sure it's all women. It's all females. Sport. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like female hockey on skates, like... I don't know what the rules are around it, but I just know that you get to knock people down. Yeah, you knock And people. I am super into that. Yeah. <laughs> Looks <laughs> way fun. Think that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just, I remember seeing it like, you what? You what? And so her, that was, that was really cool because we do, I have interviewed people where the weight of what they have been through feels heavy yeah. to me. Like it doesn't feel resolved. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel, they do feel broken. They feel yeah. like broken humans and it's hard and it's sad and mm-hmm. it, it, I, I am a, a sentient being and I feel that from people. So with Sharice, I just came away like, 
who is this powerhouse? <laughs> she just moved on through. We didn't even get to meet with her in person. No. She was a, a remote interview. Yeah. Um, and so we, we got to see her when we do our remote interviews. We do get the opportunity to see them face to face on video as well. We just published the audio. But, yeah. you know, I mean, just like we were just like, how, how do we get closer to you? Like, we, yeah. we, we love you. You are one <laughs> yeah. bad ass. Yes. Seriously. And she's then not something, not something. She's not someone to be messed with. No. I mean, she's, life is not, she's going to make life, you know, that, that goes to show you that you, no matter what is put in front of you or happens that, you know, you can make it what you want it to be. And she has, you know, she yeah. has, she's still married and, and not that that means anything, but she, you know, she has this really incredible life. And it's, it's, that was remarkable. And I learned a lot from her about each phase of recovery from emotional to physical to being re-triggered mm -hmm. uh, when she saw the, her attackers again mm -hmm. to also reporting in a time when women's violence against women was not considered to be like the standalone thing, like, mm -hmm. you know, being asked, like, what did you do to provoke this? And I mean, just all the different depths of what she, what she survived and the PTSD. And, and, you know, I don't remember if it's in there or how we did it, but we did talk about EMDR therapy, which she has done and has helped her tremendously. She spent a lot of time suffering from nightmares and had to move as a result of her attackers being let out accidentally. <laughs> Can you imagine? I was like, yeah. Wh on what planet? I would probably have like hopped in my car and driven like halfway across the country by yeah. the time I heard that news. Yeah, I'd be in Iceland. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that would definitely. Yeah. Not that things don't happen there, but you know. Well, uh, I think that we have a clip. Oh, yeah. Talking about. Oh, yeah. Maybe we can put that somewhere. Sharice's EMDR. And we can, I think we're going to play that right now. Oh, great. Okay, here we go. For everybody, their skills are going to be different, and they need to find the coping skills and the mechanisms that work for them. And the best way to do that is is with a counselor, with a therapist, with people that can help guide you in that direction. Did you find, did you when you were doing the EMDR, did you find that that took away a lot of the faces in the crowd and kind yes. of intrusive thoughts? It, it helped a lot, an awful yeah. lot. Yeah. It helped with nightmares too. Yeah. That was something it took. I tried EMDR a bunch of times and it didn't work. And then I tried it again and I could not, I felt like it was magic, but like it took See, away some stuff. You weren't ready the first times. Apparently not. You have to be in a position where you're ready to deal with the stuff that comes out. One of the things that I found out along the way is you can stuff and you can stuff and you can stuff. But eventually, your subconscious mind is going to feed that back to your conscious mind. And it comes out in depression and nightmares and other other ways. And it's not until you bring it out of the darkness and into the light and truly deal with it and learn ways to cope that those things aren't there anymore. Yeah. I can't tell you how seldom I have a nightmare. It, they just almost don't exist anymore. Wow. Wow. That's wild. That's wild. Cause I mean, night terrors have been something for me for years. And I'm sure, I mean, how, how long did you have night terrors? Um, until just not too many years ago. 
Yeah. And there, there are still those moments, but they're few yeah. and far between. And, and I understand what they are. And I have a routine that I go through when I first wake up to calm me and get me kind of immediately back on track. So I don't let it drag, you know, through the day or days or just to kind of grab the reins and pull it back and, and come to terms with, okay, this is a part of the process. This may always be a part of the process, but it's so much better than it was. Let's be thankful for that. So as you can hear, she did, you know, great work on that. And that was really helpful. So that was cool. And I appreciated that she shared with us in the interview that she did consider taking her life Mm -hmm. and that that, that's something that she doesn't talk about very often, but that did happen. And that it, the fact that it only happened once to me is remarkable. But out of all that. Yeah. I mean, wild just being, you know, in pain. And I, I have heard a lot of stories of people who are in chronic pain who are in, have the same, cause yeah. she kind of went through, she went through the, ta- the attack, obviously from a violent sexual attack, you know, perspective, but then also from a chronic illness perspective. So like right. just taking that chronic illness piece and dealing with everything that a person with chronic illness deals with. Right. She had going for her. And, you know, and then she also was very much attracted to the alcoholic or the alcoholic in recovery and is from an adult, you know, she is an adult child of an alcoholic and having that past and having alcoholism been part of her life. And, uh, you know, there's a whole study to do on, on how that affects people and positions that put, puts people in. But, you know, again, she's someone who has come out of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, for the better. And then there was Amy's episode. So we talked about Amy putting her her therapy stuff. Now, Amy was is a survivor of sex trafficking. And I talked to her about this, I think, on the pod, which was this idea that sex trafficking, like I just had such a different idea of what sex trafficking was. Mm-hmm. And I would hear people talk about like, oh, it's in your neighborhood. Oh, it's, you know, it's happening around you. And I'm like, who, who, who is being sex trafficked around me, you know, like right. I just, it's not that I don't believe them. It's just, I, I really can't fathom the situations. And I thought that it was very helpful to hear Amy talk about what that can look like. Obviously very devastating as well. Um, right. Definitely. So it goes hand in hand, something that I've actually uh, encountered with people that I have kind of known very loosely over the years, uh, child pornography and child sex trafficking go very much hand in hand, which is what she was talking about. So if you haven't listened to Amy's episode, um, we definitely encourage you to go listen to hers and Sharice's. But when she, she's specifically talking about is her uncle, uh, would basically create pornography with her as the star. Right. Um, from like three on very, very young. I mean, this is, this is incredibly, incredibly vile. It's it's so hard for me to even talk about. Yeah. Ashley and I were re-listening to the episode and, you know, just creating our notes and I was just like, Bleh. Christiana was in the Bleh. Bleh. making like, all sorts of God, very strange shows. I'm like, you okay over there, dude? You know, I it just, I, I probably shouldn't. The but. best part was you wanted to take, <laughs> you had to take a word out and like of all the things to take out. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I know. I know. It was like, mm, I know. I don't know. I just can't, I, I, 
I've taught dance. To, I mean, we're on kids all the time, but I've taught dance to this age, and I'm just like, oh god, the fact you that somebody can just sit there and like violate. You it, can't it think just, about it. it. Shouldn't you even be. It shouldn't even be a thing. And unfortunately, it is a huge thing. Well, that's the piece to talk about it. Like that's where we have <sighs> to talk about it because you know, yes, people get triggered, and people do. They shut things off. They don't want to hear, or they don't want to talk about. Yeah. But what that does is it eliminates the connection to what this looks like, what scenarios go on, and how to be involved in the solution. And if you don't know what this looks like because you refuse to listen or look or watch or hear anything about it, because it's hard. Because it is. It is hard. It's it's very hard. you know, I have little kids. They're almost right. three years old. I mean, I, 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 I don't go there in my head. I don't because right. uh, that just, I can't. What I did think was, oh, this was a family where there was clearly a lot of alcoholism, intergenerational trauma because this man had abused other people. And that the family sort of knew, the parents were very absent. The uncle lived with his mother because clearly he, you know, he he was of an age where living with his mother was probably no longer nece- should have been necessary. It was mm-hmm. kind of a failure to thrive situation. And the family knew there was something wrong with him and to the point where the aunt found him doing this and they said, you know, focus on Amy, not the other kids in the family. Not the younger ones. So right. she was like, what, seven, I think, when the yeah. somewhere around what, there. Yeah, whatever it was. And so the family basically, she was the sacrificial, Amy was the sacrificial lamb in that situation. So mm-hmm. I suspect in some ways the family had been, the women in that family had been so abused by him over, gener- you know, the sisters and then the mom had been, you know, all of it that he needed someone to abuse. And so if he abused one person and they allowed that, I think in some ways they thought they were containing damage. Mm. And I think that the family was so damaged that, you know, and again, this is my, (laughs) my, you know, Monday morning morning quarterbacking, but, you know, I just, I, those were the things I heard. Like this, the trauma that went on in this family was so significant that they could not deal with what was going on and that it was known and she was acting out in school. Like there were things that could have been done or people that could have intervened or could have seen if they had just looked harder mm-hmm. um, or or seen signs or, you know, and, and Amy talked about that, like what were some of the signs at school and people thought she was, you know, stunted because her emotional well-being was so bad. It was She was understandably. And I think um, I read another article. I'm a woman I'm trying to get to come on the podcast who talked about that at school, if anyone at school had come home to do home checks, like if, if there had been anyone had come to her home, that her life would have been so significantly different. That like being in school that the home was a sanctuary for whatever was there, whether it was violence, sexual abuse, or positive, loving parenting. And that the interaction with school was a place where that could potentially come to light. And so she talks about that. And I thought of Amy, where someone could have, if they've been trained to know the signs. And so I thought, after I heard this, what do I need to be trained to see? What are the signs? What are the things? We have another interview, which I don't know when it's coming out, but where one of, where our guest talks about being molested and then running away 
at nine. And like no one knew what happened. And from nine on, he was a total downward spiral Mm -hmm. and how his mom was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And nine years old just runs away, absolutely runs away, won't talk to anybody, whatever it was. And I heard I was on one of the like mommy Facebook groups or whatever, and a mom describes her 10-year-old son doing something similar. And I desperately wanted to say what I did say was, you know, I'm a mental health professional and my advice is to look into this further. That's all I said because mm-hmm. um, she was asking for advice. But I that wouldn't have been my thought process had I not heard that story. And so the sure. value of hearing these stories is, oh, we learn what sex trafficking looks like. We learn about intergenerational trauma, the fact that the mother – of Amy. Amy's mother was abused by the brother and Mm -hmm. therefore the brother abuses all the other women in the family and the daughter. So now we have trauma that started in one generation and is moving to the next. Mm -hmm. And there are studies that have shown that trauma can move through generation after generation, even if someone isn't being directly physically abused. Mm -hmm. Um, So really fascinating if you get a chance to look up intergenerational trauma. I saw all of those things there and thought, oh, this is relatable. I can relate these stories and see how all these components and all these different pieces work. But if you're unwilling to hear the story, if it's too hard to deal with, if it's too whatever it is, if, you know, I think that that puts you at a disadvantage to also be an advocate and to be a helper and an ally. So I think another point to that, thank you, that was such a great explanation, is when you start learning and educating yourself about this, then kind of being aware of your surroundings. And I'm not talking about being fearful because it's like, very is this ashley calling again <laughs> yes it's, you know i've learned if you see something say something <laughs> you know and that's a real thing and and i think sometimes it can also fly a little bit too hard the other way which yeah. is everyone's walking around super fearful and wants to yeah. report every person yeah. that looks it looks at them you know with a crooked eye or whatever else but, right but you know i think it's really about just being educated like mm-hmm. you said and d- not being afraid to educate yourself okay, this is what this actually looks like whenever there is a child acting out. Yeah, it could just be a behavioral issue. It could be an ADD or whatever the case. Or they have too much sugar or whatever. Whatever, there's so many things. But if they come to school dirty every day, if they, like, if they're, like, if there are other components to it, you know, I don't know, ask them. Right. And and don't be afraid to, like you said, ask and just keep your eyes open yeah. because you really honestly never know. I mean, here's Amy. She's lived in a Washington suburb. You probably would drive by her house and not really think no. anything twice. She didn't live in poverty. Her parents were always gone working. Yeah. You know, so she was she her dad she was working provided 16 hour for. days. Yeah. Exactly. So they were And she was busy. being dropped at her grandmother's house. Exactly. So she was around other family members. She wasn't alone right. with this guy all the time. Right. Right. With her uncle. You know, and here she is getting picked up and taken in her story. She talks about being picked up. Uh, she knew that there were videos of her. And so he right. carried so them in his whip. trunk. This is a seven, eight-year-old child yeah. aware that there are pornographic videos of her, but doesn't know it, what's pornography to an, a seven-year-old child. I mean, they, they really... Well, there was violence involved. And I think that was the tipping point for her. Yeah, and I don't know true. how there wouldn't have been, but I, I think that was... Because I was curious about that. I don't think he she, – she did say there were tender moments. Like she did say like when she talks about going to the park with him the first time he sold her mm-hmm. that, you know, she said, but, you know, there were there were happy moments. Like he – there were – He like took care of her. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like it didn't – it wasn't like this consideration to flee at every moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the violence escalated mm-hmm. and that we definitely heard 
And I think she knew something was, I think, I think, she, I think at that point she knew something, something was definitely up because the violence with respect to resistance was mm. so intense and that the people, this was, this was interesting. I mean, not interesting. All the words I'm going to use are terrible. So forgive me. Interesting's the best one I have that it didn't occur to me. I don't know why it should have occurred to me, but it didn't. It didn't occur to me that the buyers of child pornography would seek out the victims in the videos. I don't know why that didn't occur to me, but it didn't. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. This is where the trafficking piece comes in, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you had told me there was child pornography going on in the greater Orange County area, I don't think that would be quite as shocking to me, Mm -hmm. sadly. But the trafficking, that word triggers the image of you know, women coming from Thailand or something. That, that's what it that triggers for me. I don't know why. I don't know where that comes from, but that's that's what it triggers for me. So connecting the people who are buying this pornography, mm-hmm. child pornography, people who are buying this child pornography to the people who are making it. Mm-hmm. Ah, so now I see that connects that circle So there's for a network. Me. Yeah. And I think think what you're saying is really important because – the first thing that I think of whenever I think sex trafficking, even child sex trafficking, you know, there's so many Netflix oh, yeah. shows. Yeah. There's, there's you know, exposés. There's a lot in the media surrounding how horrible it is that there are people that travel and go travel internationally. Right. And to, they think they're coming here for like a career, right? Yes. And kids are brought here and yeah. they're, they're sex trafficked. Also, there are... Americans or, or, you know, or uh, people from other right. countries who will travel to other countries similar right. to for, Thailand exactly. for child, for child sex. sex. And but, but this you don't an, talk about it on your own soil or mm, around here happening just kind of locally. Exactly. That was the piece that was missing for me because right. I hear about people talking. Um, I did see some TV show that talked about like teenage girls being trafficked, but they were being they would run away. Mm hmm. And this was the, what I saw. They would run away, end up in like a, a pimp situation mm-hmm. using drugs, and they'd be out on their own, and that would turn into being pimped out, which because they were minors was trafficking. Mm-hmm. So that was a scenario that I kind of saw domestically that I was aware of domestically. But this was a this was a very like, oh, this is the kind of stuff they're talking about. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other scenarios. I did get um, some information for us. The first piece of information I want to disperse is the uh, National Human Trafficking Hotline information. The NHTH, National Human Trafficking Hotline phone number, which is run 24-7, is 888-373-7888, 888-373-7888. And you can call that. You can get information. You can ask for help. I think if you see something strange, you can ask about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a catch-all for anything related to that. They also have the option to text message. If you text HELP or INFO to two three three seven three three. Again, you can text HELP or INFO to 233733. Uh, languages, English, Spanish, and 200 more languages. The website is humantraffickinghotline.org. Again, that's humantraffickinghotline.org. So I have some information about this. I'm going to try not to 
bore people with all of it, but um, some of it was interesting and I wanted to uh, get the official kind of definitions around trafficking out Mm -hmm. there. Sex trafficking is a form of modern-day slavery in which individuals perform commercial sex through the use of force, fraud, or coercion. Minors under the age of 18 engaging in commercial sex are considered to be victims of human trafficking regardless of the use of force, fraud, or coercion. Sex traffickers frequently target victims and then use violence, threats, lies, false promises, debt, bondage, or other forms of control manipulation to keep victims involved in the sex industry for their own profit. We heard a lot of that. Right. Sex trafficking exists within diverse and unique sets of venues and businesses, including fake massage businesses, escort services, residential brothels, in public on city streets, in truck stops, strip clubs, hostess clubs, hotels, motels, elsewhere. Self-trafficking may be distinguished from other forms of commercial sex by applying the action, means, and purpose model, so AMM. Human trafficking, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Human trafficking occurs when a trafficker takes any one of the enumerated actions and then employs the means of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of compelling the victim to provide commercial sexual acts. At a minimum, one element from each column must be present to establish a potential situation of sex trafficking. The presence of force, fraud, or coercion indicates that the victim has not consented of his or own free will. In addition, minors under the age 18 engaging in commercial sex are considered victims of human trafficking. Since 2007, a total of 32,024 cases, total victims 32,500 as a moderate, that's a moderate guess, I guess. Um, 2017 statistics are here. It says, hang on, the top states by sex trafficking, California, then Texas, Florida, Ohio, New York. Gender, uh, 3,261 females, uh, 244 males. Adults, 2,222 adults, uh, minors, 1,123. Citizenship, 670 for U.S. citizen nationals, 271. So it sounds – so they're saying that more U.S. citizens are being trafficked. Wow. Myth, it's always or usually a violent crime. Reality, by far the most pervasive myth about human trafficking is that it is always or often involves kidnapping or or otherwise physically forcing someone into a situation. In reality, most human traffickers use psychological means – such as tricking, defrauding, manipulating, or threatening victims into providing commercial sex or exploitative exploitative labor. Myth. All human trafficking involves commercial sex. Reality. Human trafficking is the use of force, fraud, or coercion to get another person to provide labor or commercial sex. Worldwide experts believe there are more situations of labor trafficking than sex trafficking. Also something I had no idea. Right. Like modern-day slavery is what mm-hmm. we're talking about. However, there's much wider awareness of sex trafficking in the U.S. than of labor trafficking. Interesting. Myth. Only undocumented foreign nationals get trafficked in the United States. Okay, this is what we were talking about. Right. Polaris has worked on thousands of cases of trafficking involving foreign national survivors who are legally living and or working in the United States. These include survivors of both sex and labor trafficking. Myth, human trafficking only happens in illegal or underground industries. Reality, human trafficking cases have been reported and prosecuted in industries including restaurants, cleaning services, construction, factories, or more. Myth, only women and girls can be victims and survivors of sex trafficking. 
reality, one study estimates that as many as half of sex trafficking victims and survivors are males. Advocates believe that percentage may be even higher. But male victims are far less likely to be identified. LGBTQ boys and young men are seen as particularly vulnerable to trafficking. I was going to say, that makes sense to me because of the shame aspect of it. Yeah. Myth, human trafficking involves moving, traveling, or transporting a person across state or national borders. Mm. Okay. So here's reality. Human trafficking is often confused with human smuggling. Here it is. Which involves illegal border crossings. In fact, the crime of human trafficking does not require any movement whatsoever. Survivors can be recruited and trafficked in their own hometowns, even their own homes. Wow. Gosh, that's exactly what was happening with her. Yeah. So, right. Okay. So we're thinking human smuggling. Mm, Right. Which is completely different. Right. Well, it's, it's, you know, yes. Myth, all commercial sex is human trafficking. Reality, all commercial sex involving a minor is legally considered human trafficking. Commercial sex involving adult is human trafficking if the person providing commercial sex is doing so against his or her will as a result of the force, fraud, or coercion. Myth, if the trafficked person consented to be in their initial situation, then it cannot be human trafficking or against their will because they, quote, knew better. Reality, initial consent to commercial sex or labor setting prior to acts of force, fraud, or coercion, or if the victim is a minor in a sex trafficking situation, is not relevant to the crime nor the payment. Myth. People being trafficked are physically unable to leave their situations, locked in, held against their will. This is another one that always interests Mm -hmm. me. Reality. That is sometimes the case. More often, however, people in trafficking situations stay for reasons that are more complicated. Some lack the basic necessities to physically get out, such as transportation or a safe place to live. Some are afraid for their safety. Some have been so effectively manipulated that they do not identify at that point as being under the control of another human. Myth. Labor trafficking is only or primarily a problem in developing countries. This shocks me. Reality. Labor trafficking occurs in the U.S. and in other developed countries, but is reported at lower rates than sex trafficking. And I do want you to tell your your story in a second because okay. it just blows my mind that people are buying mm-hmm. other humans. At, and that's still as, happening to this day. <laughs> yes. I yeah. just – I mean it blows my mind. This stuff – I guess I'm so uh, – so I, I was talking to my dad. He was asking me some questions about something related to PTSD. And he was like, you're just so rooted in, in the you know in the topic and whatever – you don't hear the way that certain things are. We were just talking about like the norms of it. Mm -hmm. And this must be something just so out of my sphere because when I hear about it, it just shocks me. And I think other people, when I tell other people's stories, I see them have a similar reaction to what I'm having now, Mm -hmm. which is like, what? This is going on? And I'm thinking like, yeah, there's a crack house right next to your house. You know, like you have no idea. But this to me is just, I don't know why it's so shocking, but it is. Okay. So trafficking occurs in the U.S. Myth. Traffickers target victims they don't know. Reality, many survivors have been trafficked by romantic partners, including spouses and by family members, including parents. Okay. Before you tell your story, AMP. This is a, a model that they use to define sex trafficking. It's called the action means purpose model. Um, can be helpful in understanding the federal law uh, for against human trafficking. 
Human trafficking occurs when a perpetrator, often referred to as a trafficker, takes an action, then employs the means of force, fraud, or coercion for the purpose of compelling the victim to provide commercial sex acts or labor of services. At minimum, one element from each column, each column being action means purpose, must be present to establish a potential situation of human trafficking. So that's the model that they use. Do you want to talk about, you have a really interesting story as well to share about someone that you have contact with. Yes. So there's someone in my life who, I'll just not say her name. Yeah. um, Because I don't know. I didn't get her consent to share the story, even though she shared it publicly. Um, So she is from Indonesia and lived with her family in Indonesia. They all lived in one house together. It was like her and like a couple sisters and a brother. And basically one day she woke up to find, I don't know the exact details, like the nitty gritty of how this exactly happened, but she woke up to find that her parents had sold her as a labor slave. And she was actually sex trafficked. So I'll kind of explain about that to a family uh, in Orange County, California. Okay. So this is kind of the scenario that we think of though, right? Mm-hmm. right? Exactly. So this Someone is, coming from overseas. Yeah. It's international. The right. family doesn't have money. Which, right. Which was they actually- sold their daughter. Right. That was the case for them is they needed money in order to live. And so the daughter was, you know, she's yeah. great at cleaning. So here you go. Like, right. You, and they didn't know about the sex pieces. I don't know, but I do know that they knew that they sold her. So. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I guess what's... Uh, she's literally sold to, a, yeah, to right, another human. Right. I don't know right. why I'm, I'm like, well, but if they sign the contract that said no <laughs> sex, then yeah, but yeah, yeah, ignore I mean, that. It, so she got sold and she came out to Orange County, um, California. You know, it, it's, you know, Orange County... Ashley and I both live here and you don't think of Orange County <laughs> as like things like this happening behind closed doors. You know that there's... You know, some some areas that are very affluent and some areas that are not. I mean, it's not all like, you know, perfect. But she came here to a pretty affluent neighborhood and she, long story short, ended up being a sex and labor slave for eight years to a family. How old is she when she got here? Ooh, I think she was in her late 20s, early 30s. Okay. Okay, um, I'm picturing a little kid. No, she wasn't a little kid, but... I mean, not but, that that makes it better. I just, right. But, you know, it, I think it's the aspect of, like, what you were talking about, like, being sold as a labor slave. So, yeah. So, you know, not coming over accepting a job. But what's weird is, like, in my head, again, we're just talking about Ashley's head. That does not me- make it anything <laughs> other than probably chaos. Uh, <laughs> but in my head, there's, like, a hierarchy and, like, labor... Well, first of all, the idea that they were sold for labor confuses me. Like I just didn't – it honestly didn't – I didn't really consider that that was still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and second is like, oh, well, labor – at least you weren't a sex slave. Like I don't know why. That was like a thought that came to my head is that like there's classifications of traumatic Well, I mean let's talk about that. Slavery. I think that's really important because there are – judgments, right? right. Or, or, or like things I'm that judging. Yeah. I'm trying to, ca- my brain is trying to categorize this. This is what's happening. My brain, this is so wild for me mm-hmm. that my brain is trying to put everything in categories. And that is human nature. Yeah. That is human nature. And especially whenever you hear something that is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. You're like, okay. 
I got to try to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, so you could kind of flip that and say, okay, so if somebody has never heard stories about substance abuse recovery or what happens before someone gets into substance abuse recovery, there is a whole slew of judgments that people are thinking, oh, well, this person must be, you know, super psychotic, messed up in the head for them to do this. And, you know, can't you just put the bottle down and, you know, all that stuff? Well, well, we should just take it away from them. That'll fix everything. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. It totally will. All of the all of the complexities that come into all of these issues. Exactly. And so I think this one's not quite as prevalent. You don't really hear a lot of media yeah. around this. So it, it's important to kind yeah. of talk about that and, and think, okay, well, what's popping up in our heads? So this woman lives with this family for eight years. She's taken advantage of physically, sexually, and she cleans their house, runs their air. I mean, she's not chained up in the background. I believe they had kids. So she was taking care of the kids. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be an issue, a complex issue because she just probably doesn't want to leave the kids, right? Like that's that's, She feels an obligation, feels an obligation to be there. And then also... And to demonize the parents. Like if she demonizes... Yeah. And and, uh, English is not her first language. Yeah. So she has no connections. She has right. no one she knows out here. Right. This she's is not it. making those connections, right? Not she's making in a money. foreign land. She's not making money. Oh she was God. sold. So she was, you know, they she was purchased for one price for these people. So they don't have to pay it's her. Just and then it's masqueraded as somebody's right. visit our relative is visiting or helping out or this is the nanny or, or you know, years, whatever yeah, else. It's whatever. it's very easy. I mean, people aren't looking and going, Oh, there's a four. I would in not your have house. Th- Yeah, like it's just not that's something not I a would thought think. you're gonna think. No. Exactly. Unless somebody's running out screaming and yeah. then you know, you, right. and then she's not chained. So like that's she's not chained. Right. So she goes out. So when it ends up happening, she does escape, but um, she's prompted to escape. So what ended up happening was there's a man who would go running through this neighborhood on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And he would see her at the same time he'd be going for his runs. He would see her going to the mailbox to get the mail for the day. And so he saw it just, you know, just noticed her. She's very beautiful. And so he would kind of notice her like, oh, she's really pretty. But just she was very withdrawn. Just didn't look like somebody who is just like living up. their life. Right. Like, oh, just going out and getting sums them out. Up. Something is definitely up. Something's off. And he listened to that instinct. And I don't know the period of time that passed. Yeah. But the story is that he basically approached her one day and said, hey, I've noticed you coming out to get the mail whenever I've been running by. I wanted to ask, are you okay? And she broke down and said, no, I'm, I'm being, I'm being held as a, as a captive here, as a slave. And he was like, do you need me to help you escape? And she said yes. And then he took her and went to the police station and they reported it. And these people were, I believe they were prosecuted. I don't know the full story with it, but yeah, they were prosecuted. It was like a whole big thing. None of the neighbors knew what was going on. Of course not. Why would and they? Exactly. It it didn't it didn't look like there was like a hair out of place, basically. Right. Um, Which is real scary. Insanely scary. Um, and so it, she's she's living her life. She actually ended up marrying her rescuer, which is really sweet. Um, Talk about a knight in shining armor. He really was, and and like he treats her super well. And yeah. Like it was kind of like a yeah. Not, you know, yeah. not meaning he just wanted to get her help because he yeah. was really feeling like something was off and now she's thriving. That's um, wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. She has a job and she's been able to build a life here. Yeah. Um, is not in contact with her family because 
they sold her. A little complicated there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think the point of, you know, us wanting to share this story is that. And this this woman is part of uh, a community you belong to. Yes. She's part of a community I belong to. And so um, it's like very it's legitimately hap- These are things that are happening around us. I would have had no clue this happened yeah. to her. Yeah. No clue. Yeah. I it's mean, wild. It's, it really is. And I think, you know, for PTSD Awareness Month and, and the piece that with Amy and all the things that she's been through. I mean, her story, there's so many layers. We could talk about dissociation. She discusses mm-hmm. how at a certain point that she dissociated, um, that act, she felt at a certain point that she split into another person. Mm-hmm. She describes that person coming up with a name, Scarlet, mm-hmm. as another identity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know I don't know what her, I don't know, you know, what the diagnosis is there, but I, from what I understand, that is symptomatic of dissociative identity um, disorder, which is also, also used to be known as multiple personality disorder, where you are so incredibly traumatized that you actually create, your, your psyche actually creates another person to create different people to withstand the trauma, which is completely understandable given her situation and so I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, so, um, so what happens there is the brain, in case anyone's never like encountered this before, when someone encounters an extreme trauma, an extreme trauma can be you know categorized as many different things. Basically, your brain's ability to handle trauma, there's only a certain capacity for yeah. it. When that capacity is reached, if the trauma continues, then what happens is in order for the person to continue functioning and continue cognitively functioning and being able to to process as best possible this trauma, the brain basically, the brain doesn't split itself, but what happens is the identity, the the psyche splits and uh, creates, that's where that kind of identity comes from, the new identity creates whatever is needed in order to handle it. So if you're kind of needing like to gain some strength from it, then under this extreme trauma, this splitting will happen is a split will normally happen. And then there's you and then there you as, you know, your, your own person. And then this other identity, this other identity, I think Scarlett's kind of strong is what right. she, so she needed that. Like, she needed like this other person that she could almost kind of step into and just be this like badass. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Amy is completely a badass, but yeah. like she needed this other persona. Well, she to, needed to create someone who wasn't a victim. Exactly. And it helps you literally dissociate. So come out of the emotional aspect yeah, of it. Like disappear from. Yeah. Disappear completely. So from and it, there yeah. are different types of because I've dealt with um dissociation, you know, not recently, but early on, and that you can dissociate without you can dissociate without having another personality. So there are Mm -hmm. different types of dissociation when something brings up extreme emotion to the point where you, you are, you, you disconnect from it emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they're just, I think that's on a spectrum of Mm -hmm. how intense that is. Um, And we can delve into that more. It's not quite as common. So we, I don't personally, I have not dealt with DID in a substance abuse setting that I have dealt with. Not to say that it wasn't there or that, you know, but I just haven't dealt with it. So that was another piece of, that's another important aspect of trauma because that does happen. And again, it's not something that we talk about a lot, but it is in terms of PTSD awareness. I think that's another, that is a potential outcome that she talked about. And then 
what she goes through now going to therapy and really working on getting all of the emotion out, writing about it, talking about it, and making sense of it mm. uh, as much as best she can. Right. Because I think that it started so young that she that when you when you're abused at three years old, like when when your abuse starts that young, when you look at it, you're still going to have child conclusions. Yeah. You know, I mean, with any of us, any of us, yeah. we have child conclusions about things. So having to unearth it and then look at it from an adult perspective and, and recategorize things. And I can't remember. Did she say that she was doing EMDR? I can't we remember. Can't, I can't remember either. Um, I feel like we talked about it, but I can't remember. I can't remember either. I wish I did. But I, I think your your point to that is really Im- important because with someone who has abuse of any kind that starts from a young age, that ability just to be a kid and to be a child yeah. is completely taken. Oh, yeah. That time is oh, yeah. taken away from you. Gone. Right. And... and um, I mean, I think it's safe to say that you don't really get that back, but no, you, you can don't. relive that in another way as an adult and give yourself give yourself time and give yourself go, okay, I'm obviously not a child. I can't just respond, react to everything as a child. I can't go back and, you know, just have a carefree childhood like no. I wish I could have. But you can give yourself a safe space. You can surround yourself with safe people and a support system. And in, in, in Amy's case, she is just so jazzed about this amazing therapist she has such a great relationship with and is helping her process through these things. Exactly. And so I feel like her Instagram is her like childhood almost. Yeah. I mean, it's her blog basically. It is, but it's like her ability. I've been telling her you need to start a blog. Oh gosh. She's just just so creative and just so lovely and and has, I think it's just so her her courage to be so. wants to recover. Yes, and she's so vulnerable throughout the whole thing, yeah. which I think is so childlike. Yeah, which is kind of why I'm saying I feel like I feel like we're given opportunities for restoration in in spite of all these horrible things that you know have happened to people. Yeah. And I'm a huge believer in restoration and that like you are brought people around you who can lift you up and 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 give you the things that you didn't have if something was stolen from you. And I feel like that's Amy's relationship with her therapist. She has a wonderful husband that has helped her through a lot of things. And now Amy's getting to, she, if you look on her Instagram, there's some stuff and she always puts trigger warning if there's a trigger yeah. warning there, but yeah. she's got and these she's doing, Yeah. She's doing the art, the art, art around it. Yeah. She's colorful. Yeah. I she's, mean, she's definitely healing. She's it's healing, really cool to see. Reparenting herself. Yeah. Letting and it's herself cool to see the process. Kid. Yeah. 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 No, I dig it. Out. I dig it. And I, I'm I'm all for that. And I, she's teaching people and this is what I this is what I um I really encouraged her to start a blog to talk about her healing process, what she's going through and also sex trafficking advocacy mm-hmm. it, that happens in your neighborhood and teaching people maybe in schools or people how to see this stuff, how to identify what could have what could be done to happen to the the Amy's now. How mm-hmm. could we help them? How do we find them and and release them from this horrible reality that they're in? How can we help them? And I yeah. I was I, she's definitely a, a really good person for for that endeavor. One thing I want to mention before we close is that Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is the result of an experience in the brain. And it doesn't need to be 
these crazy experiences like Amy's and Sharice's. If your mother yelled at you and you experienced it as the most traumatic, you ex- you thought you were going to die. You thought your mother was going to leave you. You thought you were going to be without, you know, necessities, whatever, whatever the thing was. It does not need to sound like these two women's stories in order for it to have the same effect. Your brain doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know the difference. And and an example I'd like to give is if I set up, you know, if I took you to Iraq and set up a simulation, you know, in a building of you being in warfare and it was dark and you thought you were being shot at and that we, and then you went out and did that in those two situations, your brain doesn't know that your one's a simulation and one isn't. Mm-hmm. You you would see the brain react the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in life. It's the same. Your brain doesn't care what the wor- the rest of the world thinks about the severity of your trauma. The thing that matters is how you've experienced it. I've met mm-hmm. people with huge traumas that they experienced as mild. And I've met people with what the world would could be consider mild traumas that they experienced as huge. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to have your leg blown off. You don't have to have been attacked. None of those things. If you have the responses, the the, the feelings that go along with trauma, post-traumatic stress, then that's enough mm-hmm. and that's okay. And we're just using these intense examples because they're interesting. The symptoms, just if you're curious, the symptoms of PTSD, agitation, hostility, hypervigilance, irritability, self-destructive behavior, or social isolation, fear, flashbacks, mistrust, or severe anxiety, guilt, loneliness, loss of interest or pleasure in activities, insomnia, nightmares, emotional detachment, unwanted thoughts. These are just some of the symptoms, you can go on to National Institute of Mental Health, um, they ha- their website, nimh.nih.gov, and there is an entire pamphlet of information on PTSD. It is natural to feel afraid during and after a traumatic situation. The fear triggers many split-second changes in the body to respond to danger and help a person avoid danger in the future. This flight or fight response is the typical reaction meant to protect a person from harm. Nearly everyone will experience a range of reactions after trauma, yet most people will recover from the symptoms naturally. Those who continue to experience problems may be diagnosed with PTSD. People who have PTSD may feel stressed or frightened even when they are no longer in danger. So if you think you have any of these symptoms and want to just check them out. Maybe you're like, man, maybe I should get this checked out or maybe I'd ask. Feel free to reach out. Um, You can reach us at podcast at lionrockrecovery.com and we can get you in touch with somebody. You can call us at 800-258-6550 or go to lionrockrecovery.com. We can get you in touch with someone who can help you figure out If you are suffering from any of these symptoms, need help, or you just want to talk to somebody, feel free to check out the National Institute of Mental Health's website for more information. And thank you for listening to this podcast. We really appreciate you downloading and listening to 
the content on this podcast and we're hoping we would love to hear from you guys. So please feel free to reach out podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. We want to hear from you. And I hope that you were able to gain some insight into these two topics and share with us in promoting PTSD Awareness Month. Thank you guys so much. And we will catch you in the next episode. Later, Gators. The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast, would like to thank our sponsor, Lion Rock Recovery, for their support. Lion Rock Recovery provides online substance abuse counseling where you can get help from the privacy of your own home. For more information, visit www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash podcast. Subscribe and join our podcast community to hear amazing stories of courage and transformation. We are so grateful to our listeners and hope that you will engage with us. Please email us comments, questions, anything you want to share with us, how this podcast has affected you. Our email address is podcast at lionrockrecovery.com. We want to hear from you.